Thank you for joining us today. We want to give a special thank you to Scott McNamara for allowing our Project CAPE Certification and Adapted Physical Education Scholars to moderate this special edition of the What's New in Adapted Physical Education podcast. Um, I'm joined today with my colleague and um, co-investigator for Project CAPE, Dr. Amanda Young, and also our mentor, uh, Dr. Barry LeVay, who was 33 years emeritus here at California State University, Long Beach. Through the U.S. Department of Education grants, we were able to conduct a best in the business tour um, for our master scholars. We targeted adapted physical education teachers here in Southern California, and they spent one month with um, each of our three um, experts. In February, they spent time with uh, Kasha Givenrod and from Brea Unified School District. And um, so I guess when they spent time, it was Tuesday, Thursday morning until kind of like afternoon. So a pretty good segment of time. And then March, uh, they spent time with Brittany Ikamoto from Los Angeles Unified School District. And in April, they were with Enrique Gonzalez from Garden Grove uh, USD. And we recognize the impact these experts have on the field of APE and thank them for their continued support to train the next generation of APE specialists. So during those four weeks, um, our scholars observe, assisted, hands-on helped um, with the best in the business uh, mentors. And then that fourth week, they each had an opportunity to teach their students and the mentors provided a reflection uh, and feedback on how the teaching went. So first I am going to introduce our Project CAPE Scholars and um, then they will introduce, we have Akasha and Brittany who were able to join us today. So for scholars, we have Nikki Thornburg, Dana Briosos and Anthony Tang. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Thornburg. I am currently pursuing my master's in adapted physical education under Project CAPE here at Cal State University of Long Beach. I have received my undergraduate degree and teaching credential in physical education with an emphasis in special education at McPherson College in Kansas. I have a background in coaching tennis to all ages and abilities for about 11 years now. Currently, I am a certified tennis teaching professional at Seal Beach Tennis Center and coaching actually helps guide me to knowing that I wanted to be a PE teacher. Then as soon as I learned that being an APE teacher was possible, I knew that I found my calling. So that's about me. Hi, my name is Dana Briosos. I am a recent graduate from George Mason University in Northern Virginia. I earned my teaching credentials in health and PE with experiences leading after-school PE programs, coaching middle and college level rugby. Um, I have experiences throughout my student teaching working with students in the IDIDS class. And that led me to pursue my master's in APE at Long Beach State under Project CAPE. And I am excited to be on this podcast today interviewing everyone that we got to watch throughout Best in Business. And I will introduce Anthony Tang. He'll be um, joining in a minute. He substitute teaching today. And so we'll be joining us uh, in a bit. But Anthony is currently attending CSU Long Beach, pursuing his master's in adapted physical education and, of course, part of Project CAPE. He received his undergraduate degree in physical education, teacher education, and did his single subject teaching credential at CSU Long Beach. He has a background in strength and conditioning, personal training, um, over six years of doing that. And uh, like I said, he's currently substitute teaching in the Garden Grove Unified School District. And now, um, Nikki and Dana will introduce um, our mentor teachers. I am very excited to introduce you to an amazing individual and teacher that we have here today, Kasha Givenrod. She was one of the best in the business adapted PE teachers we are lucky enough to observe this semester. She works for the Braille Linda Unified School District and has earned many accolades throughout her 16 years of teaching. Just to name a few of those accolades, she was named the top teacher in Orange County for 2020 in the Parenting OC magazine. She was named the 2020 Capered Adapted 
Physical Education Teacher of the Year and the 2022 Shape America Western District Adopted PE Teacher of the Year. We are very happy to have you here today, Kasha. Thank you, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Next, we will introduce you to the second wonderful APE teacher we had the pleasure to observe who works for the Los Angeles Unified School District. Yeah, well, welcome, Kasha. And our second um, mentor from Best in Business is Brittany Ikamoto. She teaches at LA Unified School District. Uh, Brittany obtained her undergraduate degree from CSU Fullerton. She received her APE added authorization and single subject PE teaching credential and master's degree in PE from CSU Long Beach. So fellow alumni, <laughs> that's exciting. Uh, she mentors many CSULB pre-service teachers in the LA um, area, and she will be an adjuncting professor in, in the Intro to APE course at Fullerton next fall. So welcome, Brittany. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So we will go ahead and start with questions to you both. So please, both of you will get a chance to respond to each question. So the first question I would like to ask is, tell us both about your professional background related to APE. And let's go ahead and start with you, Kasha. Okay, um, so I started teaching actually as a general physical education teacher. So I taught junior high PE at our junior high in Brea for six years. And I was patiently waiting for the one and only adapted PE teacher to retire um, so that I could take over her position and um, have my crack at my dream job, which was adapted PE. So um, six years after, after patiently waiting, <laughs> I took over that adapted PE program in Brea and I've been doing that ever since. And I teach, preschool all the way up through high school students. And I was the only adaptive PE teacher for probably the first eight years. And then the last two years, I have had the um, awesome opportunity to get help. And they added a part-time position. So now instead of eight schools, I teach at five, which is really exciting. <laughs> but it's a really cool program. I love that I get to work with so many of my students from the age of three years old, all the way up until 18. So I really get to be kind of a core integral part of their education for a really long time and get to build some really cool relationships with their families. So it's a really exciting pos position to be in. And I feel very privileged. Thank you for sharing that. Go ahead, Brittany. Okay, um, so you guys heard it in my intro. Um, I got my undergrad in Kinesis at Cal State Fullerton. Um, then I went and got my TD credential and added on authorization at Cal State Fullerton, or sorry, Cal State Long Beach. <laughs> and then I went and got my master's there right after. Um, I sat on the State Council on Adaptive Physical Education, or SCAPE, um, from 2014 to 2017 as a future professional rep, and then as a teacher rep as well. Um, and then I've helped assist with uh, the NAPEC or the National Adaptive Physical Education Conferences. Um, I've worked with Kasha um, on, I think, one, a couple, um, a couple of them. Um, but yeah, and then this is my eighth year um, teaching um, for APE for LUSD. Um, and yeah, I teach, uh, I probably teach, let's see, TK to eighth grade. Um, is my caseload, and um, I'm probably at about, oh, I'm at two elementaries and one secondary, so, so yeah, that's my background. Thank you both for sharing that. Um, now, let's talk about your AP program that you have at your school. Go ahead, Akasha, and we'll start with you again. Um, so that question is a little um, complicated, depending on which school we're talking about, but kind of just in general terms, my preschool groups, um, we have a lot of fun together. I pull four different preschool groups, and we do a lot of fun, like kind of early exposure to gross motor skills uh, while we're kind of building those real foundational gross motor skills while we're at it to help them build success. I love it. Preschool kids, I always say it's like herding cats. It's a lot of fun, but a little chaos all at the same time. <laughs> so I, I really do love preschool. It's a lot of fun. My elementary schools, 
It depends on which one I'm at, but I want to say my school that I have the biggest caseload has probably around 15 students. And so I pull my students for direct services, but they also go to their general PE class. So they kind of double dip, uh, which I love. They get a lot of motor experience, whether it's with me working on their goals and engaging in that small group kind of focused activity, or they also get those large group games with the general PE as well. So I like that they get to have both opportunities to help build their skills. Um, and I also just have a lot of fun with my elementary kids because it's just such a really neat opportunity to have them experience things for the first time. They really get, you get to learn a lot about movement and things with our, with our younger students. And I just, I love working with them. So we just have a lot of fun together. And then at my junior high and my high school, I actually have unified PE programs, which I think we're going to spend a little bit of time sharing about later, but I love my programs at the junior high and high school. I have about five APE students at my junior high and about 13 at my high school. So I'm able to do a lot of really fun activities with those groups, especially with the addition of the gen ed peers. And so those unified PE programs, I actually see them every day, which is also really cool. So I'm able to provide a lot of opportunities for movement for my students, keep them healthy, keep them moving. We definitely will get to talk about unified P later on, which I'm looking forward to. Thank you for sharing that. Go ahead, Brittany, can you tell us a little bit about the AP program that you run and LAUSD? Yeah, okay, so um, for LAUSD, um, we have over 200 adapted PE teachers within our district. Um, so, you know, we are the second largest district in the nation. Um, we work with Special Olympics. So, um, you know, we do provide different events at all age levels. Um, so, you know, we have our young athletes program uh, for our preschool students. Um, we have our unified sports programs, um, which range from elementary to high school. Um, we also do our motor activities training program, our MAT pro MATP program. Uh, which ranges from all ages and targets more severe or profound intellectual disabilities, including athletes with significant physical disabilities. Um, we also have programs like wheelchair basketball. Um, so yeah, we have a bunch of different programs um, since there is a lot of us um, all over the district. Um, so yeah, that's kind of uh, what goes on with LAUSD's AP program. Love it. And I know that Dana and I got to experience the Special Olympics unified yeah. sports that one of your schools put on. Yep. And that was an awesome experience. Yeah. So next, let's go ahead and look back specifically on the higher education teaching aspect of both of your careers. So what have you found to be the most rewarding? And let's go ahead again. Let's switch it up this time. Brittany, can you start us off this time? Sure. Um, okay. I think um, the most rewarding for me has to be, um, I think earlier on in my career, um, I had a student that had a goal and um, it was, oh, it was a jumping goal. Um, but just everyone thought like, no, you know, like, didn't know if he could do it or not. And, you know, we would practice and practice and practice. And, um, you know, one day he actually met his goal. And, you know, I think that was really rewarding to see that how much of an impact we make, you know, on our students. Um, so, yeah, I feel like students progress towards their goals um, that some might've thought were impossible. Um, you know, they can, they can do it. So, so yeah, that's something uh, I found pretty rewarding. That's right. Never underestimate, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. And then next question, we'd love to hear from you. So when I had, when I had read through these questions, I think I may have misunderstood the question, but when I heard higher ed, I was thinking when I was in school, what, what like really made an impact on me. And I attended Cal Poly Pomona for my undergrad credentials, and like Brittany, we, we found a great school and we stuck with it. Uh, <laughs> undergrad credentials and um, masters. And one of the things that I really loved was um, the fact that our 
both of our universities actually have it, where there is a hands-on learning um, clinic on campus where as students, we get to look, really experience being teachers before we're out in the field. And so when I think of my own higher ed learning, I think that that was probably the most impactful because it really gave me a little window into what teaching was like. It gave me practical experience. It gave me the opportunity to kind of problem solve and be creative in what at the time was like a very safe environment where I you know, it wasn't just all on me because it was my program. It was somebody else's and I had somebody else watching me and helping me through it and, you know, work out the kinks. So I, I'm super grateful for those opportunities that we have to really learn hands-on while under the watchful eye and support of our higher ed programs. So I, I don't know if that was the actual point of that question, but... <laughs> No, yes, I love that both of you took your own perspectives on it. So that was great. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into lessons that we have learned throughout your career. And we'll go ahead and keep it with Brittany's leading this one. So what okay. is the biggest lesson you have learned? Oh, gosh. Okay, so for me, the biggest lesson I've learned um, is that, you know, I'm the expert in the profession, you know, um, I think I've had some cases where lawyers or advocates, um, you know, kind of make you feel like you don't know what you're talking about. Um, you know, they, they really, they really, um, I don't know what to say. They, they really, some of them can be really intimidating. And so, um, I think for me, my biggest lesson learned is that I just had to be confident in myself and, and stand my ground and, and just know that, you know, we went through the schooling and we learned from the best and um, we know what we're talking about. So um, I think that's probably one of my biggest um, lessons out of my whole career is that um, just be confident and, and know that, you know, we know what we're doing. So, yeah. Very good advice there. Yes. <laughs> And Kasha. <laughs> I'm snapping over here for Brittany because that was a great answer. <laughs> Good job. Um, so just to provide another one, because Brittany just gave a really great response. Um, I would also say just one of the greatest lessons I've learned is I will never be done learning. Um, there, I, I always want to be of the mind that I can always learn more. I can always go out and bring something new to my students and to my program, because I feel like once we think we're done learning, we're not in the right place anymore. Like 100%, Brittany's right. We are experts in our field and we should be confident in our knowledge and what we do. But at the same time, we can only be good teachers and experts if we continue to learn. So, you know, making sure that I'm putting forth that great effort to continue my own learning, I think is super important and beneficial, not just to myself, but to all my kids too. I love that answer. Personal development is, you know, you can learn so much from everyone and anyone around you. So I think that is a great and great response from both of you. So thank you. And before I pass it on to Dana, the last question that I have for you both is, is there anything that you learned from having us Cape Scholars come observe you this, this semester? And we'll bring it back to Kasha. Go ahead and lead this one for us. So I, I definitely learned. I, again, to, to my last response, I always learn from other perspectives, right? And having three new people who all are great, well-educated teachers come and join my group. It was wonderful having you guys come and ask me questions because it made me sit there and be like, oh, why do I do that? Oh yeah, that's right. I do. I, it's almost like sometimes I do things because now that I've been teaching for 16 years, it, it becomes kind of rote and kind of automatic for me, but really kind of recognizing that, yes, this, these routines or these things that, that are set in place really do have very significant purposes. And 
I think after a while of doing them, we kind of forget about that. So that was just so great that you guys had such wonderful questions for me because it kind of made me reevaluate how I'm doing things, why I do things and all of that. Um, and also just you guys bringing fresh, fresh perspectives, you know, you guys with either your questions or ideas that you would say, oh, hey, can I try this with that student? That was really cool to have because as I mentioned before, Brittany and I are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. She has 200 APE teachers. I have me and a half. <laughs> so I don't have as much of the sounding board in my district in terms of like co-department people that I can really get fresh ideas from. So it was really cool having three people with me twice a week to be able to have new ideas, new perspectives and things like that. So I feel like I learned a ton from you guys. Hopefully you learned as much from me, but I, I really loved having you guys and all your fresh lenses join, join us for a while because it really did kind of help me with perspectives and new ideas and things like that. So I really liked it. Yeah, you know, I agree with the, I think when I first found out that you guys were coming, I was like, oh my gosh, like thinking about like how my routines are like always the same. And like, you know, I've been doing this for eight years, but it's kind of like, you kind of get into the same routine of, okay. So I was like, oh my gosh, do I need to think outside of the box? Like, oh my gosh, like I've got, you know, like new students coming. And so um, like Kasha said, like, it's just, um, you guys really, you know, the questions and, and bringing, uh, you know, putting me on my toes too. Like, Oh, okay. Like <laughs> breaking me out of my routines and things like that. Um, so yeah, um, definitely having them come observed. Um, I've learned a lot. I know you guys also, um, I love watching all the like Long Beach state, uh, things that you guys are going through too, like on social media. So, um, learning from you guys through that too. Um, was a lot. I know you're getting a lot of exposure, um, you know, coming to observe us and, and teaching others and, and things like that. So um, yeah, I've definitely learned, learned a lot from you guys too. Great. Thanks. Follow us all on social media <laughs> at Long Beach State APE. <laughs> put in a plug. And Nikki, I'm going to put you on the spot since that was your last question. Now I want you to tell what was your top thing that you learned from both Kasha and Brittany. So Nikki, what did you learn? Yes, uh, with Brittany, I had a great opportunity to work with students who needed a higher needs of support. And it was just a great opportunity to get hands on and to learn different tips and tricks, especially of, you know, the importance of a physical therapist being there when a gate, um, when a wheelchair to a gate trainer transfer is needed. And um, with Kasha, I really enjoyed just learning more about the unified classes and the unified sports because that's something that I'm really passionate about and starting wherever I am if it's not already there. So just learning all the tips and tricks and trades from her, from an expert, it was really, really a good experience for me. So thank you both for all of the knowledge that you gave me. Yeah, so I, I wanted to double back on what Nikki said and how we're learning from not only Brittany and Kasha, but also from the paras and all of the other professionals in and out of your APE classroom. So that's a great flow to the next question. Can you talk about the collaborative process throughout your program? So Kasha, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, yeah, I it's it's so funny because I think there is I don't know if it's a misconception or just kind of a general feeling that can happen in adapted PE where we kind of feel like an island on our own because we're itinerant and we're kind of like this person that's like a blur going in and out of schools. But I think that really we, because of the nature of that part of our job, we have to be really good collaborators to be successful in what we do. So I think in terms of collaboration, whether it's me collaborating with my case carriers in terms of successful behavior management techniques or visuals that are working really well for my students in the classroom that I can have them bring out or new apps on their iPads for talking devices and AECs um, to working with my general education PE teachers. I mentioned before that, you know, we have my elementary kiddos that double dip. So they get me and general PE. 
I'm in very close talks with my general PE team because they're so wonderful too, that I am always checking in, Hey, how are my kids doing? What kind of support can I give you to help them be more successful in your class and things like that. So that kind of collaboration is super important too. And even when it comes to PTs, OTs, SLPs, any abbreviated acronym on the IEP team is super important for us to be able to help our kids be successful because really we don't provide these services in a vacuum so much, right? Like, yes, they pull for services. I pull for services, things like that. But what we want them to learn, we want them to generalize. So in order for that generalization to happen, we have to help our other specialists know what we're doing and I want to know what they're doing. So all of that back and forth and communication and everything is huge in terms of collaboration. I mean, and don't get me started with collaborating with just like our custodial staff and our um, admin at the front desks. I mean, that's huge too, just from the standpoint of me knowing, oh, do I have a space to teach today? Um, Things like that. So really in every aspect of our job, collaboration is so huge. And then, you know, the paras that come to class, every, every part of it for my class and my program to work effectively, that collaboration is like the first thing that has to happen right. So I, I can literally talk all day about collaboration, but I won't because I know Brittany has a lot of great things to share, but it's so, so important. So just whenever you guys are out there working in schools, always know that even if you feel like you're an island, you are a part of so many different teams. You just need to be good about accessing those teams. So put yourself out there, get involved, communicate well, and it'll work out so much better for you. Thank you, Kasha. That was a really good advice. Uh, Brittany, did you have anything to add on about oh my gosh. process? I feel like Kasha went over everything on this point. <laughs> um, no, but um, like she said, you know, um, we're always collaborating with with others don't be shy you know introduce yourselves you know make yourself known um you know i think um nikki talked about it earlier um you know i work with this actually my first year working with the pt like so close we both come in on tuesdays and um you know she showed me you know how to put the students in their gate trainers or their walkers and like um that's something that i haven't done before um you know, um, so that was something new um, too, but to have her next to me um, working during AP, we would take all the kids out. Um, you guys got to see that, Nikki, Dana, Anthony, you guys got to see that. So that was something that was um, kind of neat um, for all of us, I feel like, um, to have that support from the PT. Um, but yeah, just again, just um, don't be shy. Um, say what you've got to say. Um, and, and I think Kasha said it too, you know, uh, your paras and stuff at the beginning, if you've got to remind, you know, beginning of the school year, tell them your expectations. If you need to remind them, uh, remind them halfway through the school year. Um, but yeah, just, you know, always talk to, talk to them and, and, and be open with everyone. So definitely a great advice. Now we did, when we came to observe you guys invest in business, not only did we learn from all of both you um, and Kasha, but also from everyone that you interacted with, which is great because now that you're collaborating with other professionals, that leads on to who you can collaborate with students, right? So how do you two feel about the rise of inclusion? Uh, for me, I think, um, you know, unified in the classroom is a great idea. Um, for me, though, this is something that my students, um, it's a little different with my students or my caseload that I have this year. Um, I think we t- touched about it a little bit earlier, but um, I have a lot of um, multiple disabilities like orthopedic students. So uh, very hands-on. Everything's a lot of hand over hand or um you know, it's just a lot of us as adults prompting the kiddos. Um, so this is something that I feel like I would love to integrate, you know, with general ed students. But I think this is something that, um, you know, uh, should be at the start of the school year and, and not just like one gen ed classroom. I think the whole school should have, you know, um, a whole like assembly on on you know how how to interact with our students right 
Um, it's a lot different than having maybe a higher functioning student that can have a conversation with a general ed student and and they can play in uh, volleyball or tennis, you know, something like that. So for me, um, I think it's a great idea. I just think for me right now, um, this was something that I haven't integrated a lot in, in my classes just because I have a lot lower um, students and, and for my caseload. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a great idea and I think this is something that we need to push for, um, definitely. Yeah, I actually, um, I love I love what Brittany shared. I love, I love that inclusion is becoming a thing. I love that it's becoming more of a norm and not the exception around um, different parts of the country. I do, however, caution that it needs to be done right. So I think that that, that little like asterisk <laughs> is really important because yes, inclusion is wonderful. And yes, it is so important for both population groups. But I do feel like there are times where it is done and it's not appropriate and it's not done well. So I think that inclusion done right is 100% awesome. And I'm all for it. So I, I do I do say yay inclusion, but I do have that little caveat of it has to be done right. And I think that there is a lot of movement in the right direction for this. But unfortunately, I do think there's still some ideas that are a little outdated on what inclusion should look like. I call that the inclusion illusion. And it's, you know, where, oh, the kids are included in my class, but you go out and they're doing a different activity at the back of the field. And it's like, well, just because they're there doesn't mean they're included. So I think there's still a lot of educating and kind of redesigning programming that needs to happen. But I do like that this is some that we're heading in that direction. But again, it just I feel like it needs to be done right for me to be really excited. <laughs> Kasha, could you share a top tip or two about ways to make sure inclusion is done correctly? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I really try to help, I think whenever I present to general physical educators, this is my top tip that I tell them. We as teachers define success. So when you look at inclusion, it's really going to, how well it goes really depends on what is your definition of success. Some teachers go in and they're like, well, this kid can't do that they can't do this activity. So that kid with special needs, it, it's just not going to work. So they're going to do something else in the back. And I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, that depends on what your definition of success is. So if we have this really, really tiny, tiny view of success where you have these really high standards and it's this or nothing, half your class isn't going to be successful. Because let's be real, gen ed kids aren't always the most athletic or coordinated or successful at PE sometimes anyways. So why can't we have this more fluid definition of success that allows all students of all abilities to have access to rules, equipment, um, access to the activities that will make more people be successful? So I think when we kind of change the lens on what success looks like, because we could all be working towards the same standard, but maybe it looks different for one student than another, but that's okay because we're all working towards the same standard or maybe their equipment looks different. That is such a great way to allow more students of all abilities to be able to be engaged in a class together. So I think that when we look at, it, at how we view success in our classes, that's a really good way to help promote success for everybody in inclusion. Definitely, that was definitely well said. <laughs> uh, now, my colleagues and I got to see this firsthand from observing you. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your experience with unified and inclusive classrooms? Yeah, absolutely. So I want to say it was about five years ago, uh, maybe six now, actually. I decided I wanted to bring some inclusion opportunities to my students. And the majority of my students are moderate to severe. They have that classification where they have a higher level of need. And so being in a general physical education class isn't always the most effective and successful for them. But then being with me eliminated the opportunity for inclusion opportunities with their typical peers. So I learned about Unified PE and I decided I wanted to start that. So I started it at my junior high 
And so what I have is I have a one-to-one -one ratio where 50% of the students in my class are students with special needs and 50% of the class are students without. And I partner them up together every week and they do all of our activities together. So it's a really fun way for my students to get to know people of all levels, all abilities, all different backgrounds. We do all of our activities together and I actually rotate them weekly so that my students really get access to everybody. Um, so it's just, for me, I love what Unified PE provides in terms of motivation. My students that are on my adapted PE caseload are way higher motivated by their peers than they are from old Mrs. G that they've been listening to since they were three years old. And then they also, can form these connections that go beyond my class. So at the high school level, I have students that will log on to their, I'm so not a gamer, so I'm probably gonna use the wrong vernacular, but they log on to their games online and they play whatever it is against each other. <laughs> but it's so cool, or they go to proms together or homecomings together, and so it really provides for me, my whole goal with the Unified, besides having a really great positive PE experience for all the kids in the class, is I want my adapted PE students to have an authentic educational experience. So by providing that Unified setting, it helps provide that for them in my class and beyond. So I really love Unified PE. I think it's been really successful. And don't get me wrong, it, we had some kinks to work out in the very beginning. It wasn't all sunshine and rainbows the first year. But once, we, once I kind of got after it and kept going and trying new things, I think we've got a really good thing going. So it's been really, really cool for, for my program, my students, all over the place. It's been really fun. Yeah, well, thank you. We, we definitely enjoyed watching some of your classes and seeing the students work together and learn from each other from shadow yoga to soccer, even playing soccer against each other. It was a great atmosphere. <laughs> now, Brittany, we also saw this um, when we were observing you, especially through Special Olympics. Uh, did you prior to this year teach any unified or inclusive classrooms? And can you share a little bit about your experience? Um, so yeah, again, uh, my case was a little different. Um, so, you know, um, I haven't been doing a lot of, you know, unified or, or inclusive, um, with my specific classes, but, um, we did do, um, a special Olympics, a unified day, um, uh, where our, our program for LUC and special Olympics are working more towards, um, inclusion. So they want more of, um, the, um, APE teachers to work with the uh, classroom teachers. So um, I do have a mixture at the elementary school where where we had the special Olympics event and um, pulled one of the, the I think it was the third grade class um, with the kiddos that I pull out for APE. And, um, you know, we did uh, stations. So we did like a striking station and we did um, throwing station, wind wand station. So um, we did work together when we practiced those stations a few times. And then, uh, you know, we worked towards a big Special Olympics event. And then that Friday, we got the whole school um, to come out and cheer on, you know, both the AP students and the Gen Ed um, classroom that was with us. Um, so it was cool. Like the whole school came out and supported. Um, and yeah, so that was that was a cool event. And again, like I said, I think with us and Special Olympics, we are working more towards um, that unified in inclusion um, at all levels. So, you know, at the elementary school and um, like I mentioned before, we have the young athletes. So the younger ones, the preschool and um, the MATP. So, um, you know, I think at all levels, um, we're really, they're really pushing for that, that inclusion aspect. So. Yeah. Thanks, Brittany. Um, if you, you know, listeners, if you are interested in pursuing that educational partnership with Special Olympics, reach out to the Special Olympics representative in your area, and they can help you get started. And again, you get like provided equipment and resources. So it's a, you know, win-win. 
So Dana, that was the last of your segment of questions. So now it's time to put you on the hot seat. What's uh, something that you learned from both Brittany and Kasha? Of course, I, I definitely learned a lot. So same thing with Mickey from Brittany. Um, I learned how to work with PT, OTs and how equipment works with um, high support needs students. And then Likewise with Kasha, I learned a lot about unified and inclusive setting. That was my very first time ever seeing that in action. So thank you to the both of you. I, I really have learned a lot. And like what Kasha said earlier, there's always room for growth, always more to learn with APE. All right, and Anthony, this leads to your segment of questions. So we're gonna move on a little from the inclusion questions and move on to some questions to get you guys, to let you uh, uh, know you guys a little bit more. So my question is, what are your favorite types of equipments to use in the classroom? Maybe you can start with uh, Brittany first. Sure. Um, okay, so my favorite types of equipment is one gonna be my portable speaker. Um, I think playing music, well, I use my portable speaker for uh, my warm ups, um, so that's already in my routine. Uh, but I also think, you know, playing with the music during activities is a little bit more motivation. And, um, you know, it could also be used for like start and stop cues. Um, but this is something that you could take with you anywhere, rain, shine, indoor, outdoor, um, you know. Um, so that's probably one of my favorite pieces of equipment, um, along with something that I, we got were um, portable projectors. So I know you guys kind of saw me on Tuesdays uh, with my MDO classes. Um, because we're kind of, you know, we're all seated. Um, I'll use my portable projector for like Google Slides. So kind of incorporating those um, activities that we did during COVID, um, you know, um, in our seats for running, following along with the video or, or the music um, that's playing um, is something that I, I enjoy um, bringing into my classroom as well. Um, and then uh, probably my last favorite type of equipment is going to be like a have a ball or a cage ball, but big giant um, blow up uh, um, balls. Right now I did, um, we, I use it for sit down volleyball, um, but also, you know, we were learning volleyball at the, you know, middle school level and, and using the have a ball just made it a little bit more fun um, versus like a regular size volleyball. So um, so yeah, I'd say those are probably my top three uh, favorite types of equipment to use. Yeah, um, I'm totally gonna echo Brittany on the speaker. I, if I don't have my speaker for a class, it's like I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> it's so essential. Um, but I think there's a couple like higher tech things and low tech things that I like. So for the high tech stuff, I recently started using the Exercise Buddy app which has really been cool in motivating my secondary students in working on their fitness. I think anytime we can do things on an iPad, it really helps engage. And then visuals help so many of my students on the spectrum. It's just, there's a lot of win-wins on that one where um, it helps them move their bodies a little bit more. Uh, I also do stations a lot. So this isn't very high tech, but um, those station sign holders, because I use visuals for all my stations, I can't do stations without those station sign holders from Gopher that I put on the cones to hold all my signs and visuals. Um, but like when I think of my lower tech kind of items, man, you can't go wrong with balloons, pool noodles, and beach balls. Anything that really slows down the movement of an object is really, really helpful to help my kids be successful. And it really builds their confidence. So balloons and beach balls are my jam 100%. And I have used pool noodles for the most ridiculous things lately that I'm like, wow, I really like I cut them and I use them for air hockey, when we're inside or I cut them in half and we use them for Jedi training or the lightsabers or we use them for noodle hockey. So you know, there's there's lots of lots of weird ways I can use that kind of stuff. So I think, I think there's just so many good options for us. We get to have so much fun. We're so lucky. <laughs> Thank you guys for sharing. Yeah, I wanted to say some of my favorite equipment that I saw you guys use. Uh, let's start with Brittany. And I think it was the projector you mentioned too, it was uh, what's called the Nebula. 
Yeah, I thought it was like really convenient. Yes. You, you didn't have to charge it too. And it just, you just like charge it beforehand, just bring to class. It's like really, really convenient. Yeah. And for Kasha, I remember you used the uh, pillow polos. I love, I love, I love those things. I think we got some for ASAP too. And also, we did. Yeah. My students would come back and report on cool equipment and we totally then had to go buy it as well. So thank you all for the great ideas. Yes. Yeah, I remember I made a post on uh, on the NAPEC. I called it a Q-tip paddles and everyone was correcting me calling it uh, pillow polos. <laughs> all right, so we're going to move on to the next question. So have you always known you wanted to be a PE teacher and why did you decide to pursue APE specifically? Let's start with uh, Kasha this time. Um, I wouldn't say that I always knew because I didn't know it was a thing for a while. Um, I, you know, I went to college as a psychology major um, because that's probably what you do when you don't know what you want to do. But um, I then took an intro to adapted PE class at Cal Poly Pomona and Dr. Perky Vetter was the professor for that class. And I feel like after the first day I was hooked and I was like, yep, this is what I'm doing. And I completely changed my educational path and I was hooked ever since. I mean, I, I had always been an athlete and so I loved sport and I loved movement. And then I also had started volunteering at a camp for adults with disabilities when I was in high school and I actually still do it, but it really kind of brought my two favorite things together. And it was just, it took me a while to find out about it. But once I did, it was game over. And that was just what I had to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so actually, so I was very athletic and I wanted to become an athletic trainer. That was why I went to Cal State Fullerton. So I went there not knowing about APE and then like gosh, I took like an intro into Kinesis class over there, learned about APE and they made us go like out and observe, you know, an APE teacher. And at that time, I didn't realize it, but I had a family friend who worked for um, LUSD and she was an APE teacher. And so I was like, can I come observe you? And so um, I went out and observed her and I just remember the most craziest thing. I walked out there, she had her class and the moment I walked out there, I was like, this is what I want to do. You know, it was just, I had that gut feeling and, and just seeing the smiles on the kids' faces and, 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 you know, her having fun with them. I just knew that that was what I wanted to do. Um, you know, they say like, um, you just know when you know, like, <laughs> I don't know, it was weird, the weirdest thing, but I knew that day after observing her that that's what I wanted to do. So I had to finish my bachelor's degree and hurry up and get out of Fullerton and find Cal State Long Beach and, and get my added on over there. So thank you too for sharing your um your origin story for becoming a PE teacher. I feel like I uh I went through like a similar path too. I always did, I didn't really know I wanted to become a PE teacher until like uh, after like my first year at Cal State Long Beach. I originally did want to do uh, computer science. Then I changed my mind because I didn't like math and I went into PE because I wanted to make uh, more of an impact towards uh kids or younger, younger individuals. Oh, yeah, let's uh, move on to the next question. Is there anything that worries or excites you about the future of uh, the APE profession? Uh, I'll start with uh, Brittany again. I think what excites me about the future of the APE profession is um, I'm excited to see what, like, this new program is bringing. Like, I see everything that you guys are doing. Um, how much work you're putting into um, not only coming to like observe us, but you know, you're putting out like I stated before your social media posts, you guys are learning, you're gaining all this extra experience. Um, you know, like you, I think you guys just did like what you got certified in like swimming and, and archery. And these are things that, um, you know, I didn't get to do, you know, in, in school. So I think, um, I'm excited to see what you guys are are able to bring in the future as future AP um, teachers. I think you're gaining a lot, a lot of experience and, um, you know, you're doing it by observing and you're doing it by, um, you know, teaching other colleagues and you're doing it by learning, um, you know, different activities. So um, that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited that you guys are getting so much more experience and exposure. And I know you guys are going to bring that to 
to our profession. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I actually have one of each. Um, I love what Brittany shared. I agree completely. This program is really, really cool. I think it's awesome that you guys had this opportunity. So kudos to Cal State Long Beach for this um, project because it's I, I think it's really, really neat. Um, I I think what excites me about adapted PE is actually kind of, I don't, this might sound kind of weird. I think COVID helped put us on the map and legitimize us because parents got to see what we do in their home. And so I had parents who were like, I had no idea my kid was doing all this. Um, and so I think that was really neat for us. And I think it helped us get kind of on the map. And I think we're kind of using that momentum to just keep pushing forward because what we do is so incredibly important, not just for kids with movement, that's the obvious benefit, but for everything else, they're better learners when they move and they're going to be healthier adults if they enjoy movement and things like that. So I think that, um, I'm, I'm just excited because I feel like we've, Kind of built a little bit of momentum recently and I, I i'm excited to see where that takes us as a profession um i also do have a worry kind of thing just i wanted to add i think that the this last year with all of the speaking and stuff that i've done with shape america and stuff like that i've met a lot of different teachers from different states and it worries me that we all have such varying policy approaches, um, the way that adapted physical education as a service is delivered or not at all. Um, I think that there's so much inconsistency and that worries me. I think that something that is federally mandated and that is represented in law should not have that much variety. So I really do kind of hope that there's a way and Lord knows I am not that person that's going to figure out what way that is, but I do feel like there should be more consistency in what we do because that not only makes it better for our students, but it legitimizes our profession as well across the board. If we're all doing the same thing and it's all consistent across states. So I, that worries me a little bit, but you guys are really, really energetic, new professionals. So uh, let's take that on. Okay, guys. <laughs> That's a great point. Great point. <laughs> Barry woke up. That's all he's got. <laughs> oh. No, well, that's no. This is the, the most quiet I've heard you. You didn't say well, anything I've for like got, a whole I've hour. I've got a few questions. I'm just waiting okay. my turn. Oh, all right. Right on. <laughs> I think we've got maybe one last one. Is that correct, Anthony? So for my last question, is there any at, uh, that you give uh, to any master's students or anyone pursuing APE in general? I think I kind of shared this a little earlier. It's just never stop learning. Always go to conferences, meet with other professionals. If you're someone like me that works in a really small district, don't be afraid to reach out to the districts in your SELPA or your neighboring districts that you can go and like do their department meeting with them once a month or something like that. Don't ever be afraid to reach out and keep learning more. I think it's so beneficial. And also don't be afraid to get out there and teach other professionals because we need teachers to be able for us to learn. So um, be confident in what you know and what you do and put yourself out there and start teaching people too. Yeah, um, I think you you guys, you know, I think you guys have like a lot on your plate, um, but it's all going to be worth it. Um, keep going, keep learning. Um, keep, you, like Kasha said, go, go to conferences, go outside of districts, go see different class types, right? Different teachers, the way they teach, um, you know, different um, everything and, and make sure that... Um, you know, uh, just don't feel overwhelmed. I know it's probably feeling overwhelming right now that you have a lot, but, you know, just, just keep going and, and you guys will get through it and, and you guys are going to make good, good APE teachers. So, yeah. All right, Anthony, we'll put you on the hot seat and we'll ask Kasha and, or we'll, I would like for you to tell Kasha and Brittany, what are the things that you most learned from then? And then we'll, send it over to Barry for any follow-up questions that he might have. So Anthony, what'd you learn? Uh, I definitely learned that uh, 
Hazel's uh, varies from, uh, from sites to sites, especially Akasha and uh, Brittany's caseload. I noticed that uh, Brittany caseload is a lot more uh, higher needs, higher need of support students, and Akasha is like kind of a, a mix in between. And yeah, and like I also learned like a lot of uh, the different types of equipment you guys use. And, and uh, when it comes to like modifying too and uh, getting towards your students' need and uh, trying to be to have them be as su successful as they can, I thought it was like a a, lot of, a good learning opportunity for me. That's such a great point, Anthony, that if you go to different APE teachers and observe, you're gonna see just everything's gonna be different. Some are gonna be heavy preschool. Some might be heavy post-secondary transition. Some might have high support needs. Others might run a unified PE class or you know, a peer buddy reverse inclusion program. It's gonna be so different. Some might be itinerant and go to five different schools. Others you know, might you know, be at one school. It's so different. And so that's why it's so important if you're a pre-service APE teacher that you see multiple teachers because not only are you gonna see different teaching styles but just different, different types of students on the caseload. All right, Barry, take us home. What questions do you have? Um, so, Kasha, you, you did a real nice job of talking about the, one of the more critical things is never stop learning. Um, you talked about, a little bit about professional development in the sense of attending conferences and how important that is. Um, what do you think are some other strategies uh, once students graduate they could use um, not only like observing other teachers, but what, what about social media? Because I think a lot of people are going to Twitter and going to social media and maybe talk about that a little bit, both you and Brittany, and, and maybe some things you pick up doing that and learn. Yeah, absolutely. I think that in terms of, you know, the conferences are an obvious in workshops and things like that are an obvious place, but social media has become such an incredible learning platform and support platform really for physical educators. I resisted Twitter forever. I was like, I don't need Twitter. I don't need one more thing to check, but I'm so glad I got on it because there is such a huge group of people, physical educators, general and adapted alike, who are all on their providing ideas, asking questions, looking for support and resources. And I've learned so much kind of to what I was saying earlier about how differently everybody does things and different really cool ideas of like, oh, I've never thought to use a pool noodle for that. I'm going to try that or whatever it is. You know, I get lesson ideas. I get support for ideas. I'm kind of workshopping and asking for ideas on, hey, how would you guys make this work? things like that. So I think Twitter has been, has really, really been a surprise for me in how helpful it has been in terms of, if not even just a, you know, an idea generator, but being able to find like-minded educators in wanting to just help our students do as best as we can. So uh, Twitter for sure is a great spot. One, I'll follow up. This is uh, Melissa Bittner. One tip that I learned when I was a doctoral student, um, I, I recognize that one of my professors, um, Susanna Dillon at TWU, Texas Women's University, was really connected. And so what I did, I went onto her Twitter and I, if she was following someone in APE, I followed that person too, or I followed that organization. And that's how I kind of built up my bank as to who to start following or and I still do this today with our app you know our Long Beach State APE I'll go and just do a search for adapted PE and if anyone has adapted PE in their you know like handle or in their bio follow 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 and so that's how again we can learn more because again like like you all mentioned it's just about constantly growing and learning more um, being involved in the profession. This is kind of a philosophical question. Um, I think, you know, like conferences and what I've noticed over the years, uh, those are great and Twitter and you're getting a lot of great ideas quick and what I can do to teach. But what about the big picture and where are you, where can you go to learn about philosophical questions like, you know, you had talked about the delivery service models and how they're so different everywhere else. And I think what, what, what um, I think is really challenging is I don't see people reading like they used to. And I understand they're itinerant AP teachers, they're busy as hell. And 
to me, a lot of times that's where you really get to reflect and maybe share what your, your thoughts about that are um, as far as like really reading and looking at the big picture. I think too often people think that's just a higher ed thing. And um, I really think teachers, you know, need to do that once they graduate. They think they don't have to do that after they graduate. Brittany and Kasha, what do you guys think? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so that's a good question. Um, but kind of going back on the whole like uh, APE like handle that we were just talking about, um, I know like Nikki and Dana, I think you guys like asked me like, oh, do you have a professional like handle? And I was like, or for like Instagram or, or, or whatever, Twitter, things like that. I was like, um, no, I just have my personal one. Um, but I, I think an idea on that would be, you know, I think a personal goal for me, for me would be, okay, like maybe I should create a professional APE handle where I can post things like this, like, um, you know, uh, maybe I read an article, right? Like, uh, and I wanted to talk about it, then I could place that like on my handle or, um, you know, I did host, um, you know, the master students and I want to promote that. And so, you know, I could post that on my, on my professional handle. Right. Um, so I think that, that would be a, prof uh, just a goal for myself is to become up, up, up with a professional handle. And I think share those ideas and, and, share reading about articles or or how you know LESD does our delivery model or things like that simple things that I think you know we could talk about easily on, on a social media platform because I think that's where it's easiest to find things right now like you know I'm always scrolling on Instagram and that's how I see all the long you know following Long Beach State AP so that's you know where I'm learning all my things so for me I think that's where I would kind of go. And Barry, I know that Scott McNamara, uh, Andy Colombo, Doug Avito, and colleagues have kind of recently within the last year or so did a, an article about this. And part of it's just all these journals are paid to view. And it's difficult for a practitioner to pay to subscribe to these journals. Um, and that's a, a challenge to overcome in our field that let, let's be real. If a practitioner is going to spend, you know, $30, are they going to spend it on journals? Or are they going to go to the 99 cent store and buy, you know, 30 poly spots, you know, that they can use for thematic targets coming up for St. Patrick's Day? I mean, that's just kind of the heart of a practitioner. They're going to spend that money and that time and that effort usually for fun things for their students. Um, and it's an issue. It is an issue for our field. And I think that that's where we in higher ed really have to bridge that gap and try sure. to find way yeah try to find ways to take kind of that higher ed research and literature um and make it more accessible for practitioners so we don't have this gap between what's going on in literature and what's going on in the field oh dr young saying in the yeah in the chat like the caper journal because that one is free and it's not behind a paywall yeah great point i also just wanted to add i think that podcasts are kind of a great meeting in the middle it's not so short and abrupt as social media posts and whatnot it because it is a conversation you can go more in depth you can share more thoughtful responses and comments and things like that um i do like that podcasts are becoming a thing where ongoing we can refer back to previous seasons or episodes or whatever it is that we really want to learn more in depth on and listen to more information on where I will be the first to admit, Dr. LeVay, I am not one of those people that opens up a journal before I go to bed. Um, but when I'm I in my car, <laughs> but when I'm in my car driving from site to site, I can have a podcast playing and I can be still gaining new knowledge and learning and gaining new perspectives as I'm driving from site to site. So I think the accessibility of podcasts has a lot of potential in terms of providing that kind of support that maybe not in such an academically, you know, peer reviewed format, but at least a more thorough in-depth kind of conversation that we can promote education and new ideas. I agree. Like six years ago, when I was asked to speak on Scott's podcast, 
I was blown away by how many people like got on his podcast. And I started thinking how itinerants drive from school to school and how that's what they do. They listen to podcasts. And so I immediately saw the power of podcasts and became a big believer in, in, in podcasts because of that. Um, and uh, very early, you know, when, yeah. when Scott first started doing that. No big deal, Barry, but I think you are definitely still in the top at least three of his podcasts, like views for your behavior management episode, you know, well, especially no after COVID like behavior management is like in again now because, because uh, of uh, back, <laughs> back, back to the classroom. Like I'm shocked at how many, I, I get a lot more calls now than I did. So it's, it's like, uh, it's cool again, to, you know, to <laughs> behavior manage. You can't teach if you can't manage behavior, but Hey, Brittany, one of the questions I have is you talked a lot about um, the motor activity program for Special Olympics. I think there's some people in the audience like uh, nationally that may not be familiar with that. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that because that's one of the Special Olympics programs that really gets overlooked. Unified sports gets a lot of the attention and, you know, the young uh the, the program for youngsters, but but the motor activity program, especially yeah. for people who are really looking for things for um, high support needs uh, students. Can, can you maybe talk, just give an example or talk a little bit how you use it? Yeah, so definitely. Um, I'm actually, my event is on the 17th. <laughs> um, so my kiddos um, were actually doing bocce. Um, so I'm teaching them bocce. Um, but um, yeah, MATP is, is, you know, again, geared towards, um, you know, students that have more physical disabilities or, um, you know, that need a little bit more support. And so um, this is something that I um, work on with my kiddos. Um, they, you know, the Special Olympics comes in and, and they bring in like ramps, like, or um, they'll bring in ramps for the bocce um, that I'm going to do, um, in a couple weeks. Um, and then they provide, um, you know, all the equipment, but, uh, we just teach them. Um, I teach them and then we just have this big culminating event, um, towards the end of, of the unit. And, um, it could be anything, right. Um, it could be anything, uh, you know, we used to do, um, soccer with the big, like have a balls or, or giant balls and, and students in the wheelchairs would play with with that ball for soccer, um, but it could be any any kind of um, activity that um, meets the needs of, of those students. Um, but but yeah, and there's some good support materials that they that you can get from the Special Olympics headquarters yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. They they have um, instruction manuals and 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 they bring the equipment and if you have ideas, they work with you and. And, and they help modify or, or accommodate. So yeah, it's a really it's a really good program. All right, those are your burning questions, Barry. Those are just I figured like maybe we don't want to go on forever, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, a huge thank you to Kasha Givenrod and Brittany Ikamoto for uh, being yeah. great APE uh, teacher mentors. Much appreciated, and also big kudos to Nikki Thornburg, Dana Briosos, and Anthony Tang, who are master scholars uh, in adaptive Nicely PEs. done. Yeah, nicely done with moderating the podcast. All right, thank you all until next time. Take care, everyone. Thank you.